Saturday, November 14th, 2020. How you guys doing? BK here coming at you again from San Diego, California. 12.02 p.m. here. Uh, go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Bravo Kilo Actual for breaking news throughout the week and check out that Instagram at BK Actual. Got to thank you guys for another record-breaking week. Uh, it's been a good one. Let's get right into the news this week, you guys, and let's start with this story about Al-Qaeda's second highest leader. This is Abdullah Ahmed Abdullah. And he is accused of being one of the masterminds of the deadly 1998 attacks on American embassies in Africa. And the news broke this week that he was killed in Iran three months ago. He went by the alias Abu Muhammad al-Mazri, and he was gunned down on the streets of Tehran by two assassins on a motorcycle on August 7th. And that was the, the anniversary of those embassy attacks. And he was killed along with his daughter, Miriam, who also is the widow of Osama bin Laden's son, Hamza bin Laden. And this attack was carried out by Israeli operatives at the behest of the United States, according to the New York Times. It's unclear what role, if any, was played by the U.S., which had been tracking the movements of al-Mazri and other al-Qaeda operatives in Iran for years. Now, uh, this killing had been rumored, but not confirmed until now. And for reasons that are still obscure, al-Qaeda has not announced the death of one of its top leaders. Iranian officials covered it up promptly, and no country has publicly claimed responsibility for it. So this guy, al-Mazri, he was about 58 years old. They're not sure exactly. He was one of al-Qaeda's founding leaders, and he was thought to be the first in line to lead the organization after its current leader, Ayman al-Zawari. And he's long been featured on the FBI's most wanted terrorist list. He had been indicted in the U.S. for crimes related to the bombings of those U.S. embassies in Kenya and Tanzania, which, recall killed 224 people and wounded hundreds. The FBI offered a $10 million reward for information leading to his capture, and as of Friday, his picture was still on the FBI's most wanted list. It was a little surprising that they found him in Iran, given that Iran and al-Qaeda are enemies. Iran is a Shiite Muslim theocracy, and al-Qaeda is a Sunni Muslim jihadist group, and they've fought each other on the battlefields of Iraq and other places. Now, American intelligence officials are saying that al-Mazri had been in Iran's custody since 2003, but that he had been living freely in this nice suburb of Tehran since at least 2015. So kind of what happened was about 9 p.m. in August, he was driving his sedan with his daughter near his home when two gunmen on a motorcycle drew up beside him. Five shots were fired from a pistol fitted with a silencer, and four bullets entered the car through the driver's side, and a fifth hit a nearby car. And as news of the shooting broke, Iran's official news media identified the victims as some Lebanese history professor and his daughter, and the Lebanese news channel and social media accounts kind of kind of went ran with that, and it seemed plausible. Uh, but there was no such Lebanese history professor. Um, I'm 
I'm just going through this, guys. It's a little convoluted, but several Lebanese with close ties to Iran said they had not heard of him or his killing. A search of Lebanese news media found no reports of a Lebanese history professor killed in Iran last summer. And an education researcher with access to lists of all history professors in the country said there was no record of a Habib Daoud, which was the name they gave. Well, one of the intelligence officials said that Habib Daoud was, in fact, an alias Iranian officials gave to al-Masri, and this was all an elaborate cover story. So, uh, it's less clear why Iranian officials would have taken in an al-Qaeda leader to begin with, and weren't, they're, they're really not sure. So, this is kind of like a fascinating story. Iran has consistently denied housing al-Qaeda officials. But Western officials said that al-Qaeda leaders had been kept under house arrest by the Iranian government, and then they kind of are permitted to like live freely. Now, although al-Qaeda has been overshadowed in recent years by the rise of the Islamic State, it does remain resilient. And uh, in recent years, a UN counterterrorism report concluded that they still have many active affiliates around the globe. So... He was a longtime member, al-Masri, of al-Qaeda's highly secretive management council, which is what they call them. And according to a highly classified document produced by the U.S. National Counterterrorism Center in 2008, Mr. al-Masri was the, quote, most experienced and capable operational planner not in U.S. or allied custody, end quote. And, yeah, in Iran... Al-Masri mentored Hamza bin Laden, according to these same terrorism experts the New York Times is quoting here. And then, yes, Hamza bin Laden later married Al-Masri's daughter, Miriam. This is fascinating. There's a whole story on this, you guys. I'm gonna got, I don't have time to get into the whole thing as much as I'd like to, but it's a, it's, it's a very, very long article here. I mean, we're talking like he was, this guy was involved in like Mogadishu, uh, we go back to those embassy attacks. Remember August 7th, 1998, shortly after 10.30 a.m., two trucks packed with explosives pulled up in front of the American embassies in Nairobi, Kenya, and Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. And in the year 2000, al-Masri became one of nine members of al-Qaeda's governing council and headed the organization's military training. He continued to see oversee Africa operations. Yeah, he was this guy. Uh, this guy was a very, very, very deep tentacled man here. He was one of the few high ranking members of the organization to survive the American hunt for the perpetrators of 9 11. When he and other Al Qaeda leaders fled after, to that, to Iran, they, you know, they, they used this house arrest as kind of like a cover story to shield them almost. Uh, great story by the New York Times, guys. I encourage you to go read the whole thing. Now, uh, interestingly enough, Iran has spoken out on this as of just this morning, and they're dismissing a newspaper report, that would be the New York Times, that he was killed in Tehran by Israeli agents, as made-up information are calling this. And they denied the presence of any of the Sunni jihadist group's members in Iran also. Wow, this is like some cloak and dagger shit. Just pulling up aside with the motorcycle with the silenced pistol. That's great stuff. Well, good. He's gone. One less uh, turd that we have to go chase down. Let's talk about what else is going on. 
there was a helicopter crash, unfortunately, in the Sinai area overseas, and the helicopter was carrying members of a multinational peacekeeping corp uh, force, and that crashed near the Sinai Peninsula of Egypt, and it did kill five Americans, unfortunately, and yes, they are U.S. military members. It also killed a French citizen and a Czech citizen. This peacekeeping force was called Multinational Force and Observers. It said that one person actually survived and was medically evacuated. How about that? The only person. There's only one survivor. Brutal. This uh, peacekeeping force supervises the implementation of the 1979 peace treaty between Egypt and Israel. It consists of 1,154 troops from 13 countries, including Australia, Britain, Fiji, the U.S., and Uruguay. The force was born in 1981 out of the inability of the Security Council to obtain approval for the placement of the United Nations peacekeeping force in Sinai and they operate out of two military bases in Egypt. Hmm. Anything else about the crash itself? Uh, they, yeah, they're really not saying anything about the crash itself. It was weather, mechanical failure or something. Nothing about that, so that's uh, tragic. It's too bad. Let's go to Afghanistan and... Talk about what's going on. Are we are we leaving? Are we staying? Or, or what's going on? I'm looking at this article by my man, Thomas Gibbons Neff, in the New York Times. And he's writing about what Afghans think about the U.S. now. And it's uh, difficult. Uh, officials in Kabul are aware that Americans have grown weary of this fucking stupid war, 19 years going on. And... Indeed, President-elect Joe Biden wrote in Foreign Affairs earlier this year, quote, it is past time to end the forever wars, which have cost the United States untold blood and treasure. As I have long argued, we should bring home the vast majority of our troops from the wars in Afghanistan and the Middle East and narrowly define our mission as defeating al-Qaeda and the Islamic State, end quote. So he left himself some wiggle room there, for sure. Now... We have this Pentagon shakeup in recent days that kind of affected this greatly because it seems now that Trump is determined to get the troops out of Afghanistan before he leaves office, assuming he leaves. <laughs> we'll have more on that a little bit later. So this week, Trump dismissed his defense secretary, that was Mark Esper, who had repeatedly expressed reluctance for a fast pullout from Afghanistan and replaced him with Christopher C. Miller. That is the former director of the National Counterterrorism Center. Uh, he was also a former Army Special Forces officer. Also, Douglas McGregor, a retired Army colonel and fierce proponent of ending American involvement in Afghanistan, was also named this week as a senior advisor to Christopher Miller. Additionally, Trump recently nominated a new ambassador to Afghanistan, a guy named William Ruger, the vice president for research and policy at the Charles Koch Institute, which is a vocal and well-financed opponent of current conflicts abroad. Uh, let's see. And then we had the American commander in Afghanistan right now, that is General Austin Miller, traveling to Washington on a previously scheduled trip as officials in both Afghanistan and the United States brace for a possible announcement as early as next week. 
to quickly reduce the 4,500 U.S. troops still left in Afghanistan. Remember, Trump has previously said that he wanted to pull all troops from Afghanistan by Christmas. And this recent flurry of firings and assignments, it seems like he's trying to accelerate this plan. Trump's views on reducing the U.S.'s footprint overseas are long-standing. Remember, that's like a central component of his America First foreign policy agenda. He did originally support the war in Iraq, notably, but he then spent years criticizing George W. Bush for America's wars in the region. During his 2016 campaign, Trump astonished Republicans by directly attacking Mr. Bush about the war in Iraq. Um, but you know, there's a lot of weird, uh, you know, the, there's a lot of like weird overlap between like the liberal and conservative blocks on, and this is one of the few things they seem to agree on is getting out of Iraq last year, vote vets, the big lib vet organization. I torture on Twitter constantly. They teamed up with the conservative concerned veterans for America to persuade Congress to revoke authorizations of military force passed after September 11th. Uh, Also, Trump replaced John Bolton, considered a hawk, with Robert O'Brien as his national security advisor. Mr. O'Brien has said the United States needs to redirect its resources from Afghanistan and towards the competition and possible conflicts with China and Russia. Uh, in case you're wondering, just they stuck this in here like a just a random fact about the military vote for the presidential election. Well, it seems like Trump did win veterans 54% to 44%. That's slightly down from 2016 when he won veterans 60% to 34%. Uh, anything else about this in Afghanistan? Well, hopefully we'll get out of there soon, guys. It's fucking time, dude. It's long past time. And you know what? If you don't want to fucking do what the commander-in-chief tells you to, then you should quit. Because I'm reading this story in DefenseOne.com. Listen to this headline. Outgoing Syria envoy admits hiding U.S. troop numbers. What is, what is this? This was retiring diplomat Jim Jeffrey. And he's quoted in this article in Defense One as basically saying that he and his team routinely misled senior leaders about troop levels in Syria. He said, quote, We were always playing shell games to not make clear to our leadership how many troops we had there, end quote. The actual number of troops in northeast Syria is, again, another quote, a lot more than, end quote, the roughly 200 troops Trump initially agreed to leave there in 2019. So what is this? Uh, you know, uh, this is this is a uh, th- this is like basic. This is like uh, it's it's not listening to your commander in chief. It's defiance. It's like you should be fucking fired. But he's retiring, right? I don't care what your politics are. You can't have diplomats and generals defying the commander-in-chief. That's what he was, the big part of why he won is he said he was going to do it, and that's what people wanted. And if you think that's wrong, well, fucking you go run for president, and you fucking win an election. You don't get to just do what you want. There's a fucking chain of command here. 
Ridiculous. And nobody cares because it's Trump, right? It's funny. All the Trump derangement I've seen this week, man. I don't know if you guys saw on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I put it on my IG stories. Like some of the woke vets, they're still like winning the election. And we'll get more in the election in a moment has really done nothing to assuage their derangement. They're still completely obsessed with the guy. That's what I'm saying. It's going to be hilarious when Joe Biden's president and nobody cares about him and all the newspapers are still running editorials about fucking Trump because that's what they're still doing now. It's great. But anyway, I digress. More on the election in a moment, I promise. Let's uh, go on to a few other world news stories, though. How about this? Let's go to The Hague. And talk about this. In the Netherlands, at least one gunman opened fire outside the Saudi embassy at The Hague, local police officials said this week. A day after a World War I commemoration attended by European officials was attacked in Saudi Arabia. Uh, no one was injured in what was a rare attack on embassies or other diplomatic missions in the Netherlands. And it was not immediately clear whether the shooting was related to that Violence in Saudi Arabia a day earlier. And I'll ha I, I have that one queued up next. But this one at The Hague, they said that the shooting at the Saudi embassy happened around 6 a.m. Thursday, and local news outlets reported that about 20 shots were fired at the building. The Saudi embassy in the Netherlands denounced the attack as cowardly, according to the kingdom's official news agency. Now, the Dutch prime minister, Mark Root, R-U-T-T-E, could be rut, has voiced strong support for France in the aftermath, remember, of the beheading of that teacher by an Islamic extremist in Paris last month. You guys know if you've been listening, of course, that teacher was the one who showed cartoons about the Prophet Muhammad in a class on freedom of expression. Uh, so these have been kind of uh, tick, tick, ticking up overseas, over there in Europe. We had... The church attack, you guys know all these if you've been listening, where the assailant killed three people at a church in Nice, France. And, yeah, the Islamic State claimed responsibility for this attack on Thursday. The terrorist group said that the Islamic State fighters had targeted the French consul, who was then they were attending the, the event in uh, the, this other event, and... This was in relation in retaliation for comments by President Emmanuel Macron, of course, who's been cracking down big time on the uh, nut jobs they have over there and defending the publication of those Muhammad cartoons on free expression grounds. So that was that one that The Hague, this other one in France was like an explosion and it wounded at least three people in an attack on a ceremony organized by the French consulate to commemorate the end of World War I in a non-Muslim cemetery in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Okay, you got all that? So it was not in France. It was, at, it was organized by the French consulate, but it was in Saudi Arabia at this cemetery. But yeah, they, they're calling it an IED, improvised explosive device, struck the ceremony. Uh, representatives from France, Greece, Italy, the UK, the US, and uh, others were all present at the time. Let's see, any, they, yeah, they just said they're not going into the details on how bad the injuries are 
the state-run Saudi press agency said two people had been lightly injured in the attack, a Greek consular worker and a Saudi security guard. They said that this Greek consulate worker was a policeman. Accompanying a consulate employee to the ceremony, the wounded policeman has been hospitalized, but they are saying his life is not in danger. And what they're saying right now is that an explosive device had apparently been thrown at the cemetery during the ceremony. God. <laughs> oh, fucking mess over there. This ceremony, by the way, was one of many held across Europe and in other countries to commemorate Remembrance Day. Anybody, you guys know what Remembrance Day is, right? That that is uh, the day that ends uh, World War One. Remembrance Day. This one marked the hundred and second anniversary of the armistice signed by Germany and the Allied countries to end World War One. Yep. No. No. Uh, no rest over there in that wacky part of the world, is there? Let's go to a different part of the world and talk about what's going on in Peru. I don't talk about Peru that much, but they have been hit hard by the coronavirus pandemic. They've had the deepest economic crisis on record. And it looks like now they're getting their fourth president in five years. So the country's deeply disliked Congress had voted Monday night to impeach Martin Vizcarra a popular president, but they impeached him for, quote, moral incapacity, end quote. Hmm. And this is just five months before new elections were to take place. And then on Tuesday morning, just 13 hours after the impeachment, Congress had sworn in a new president, a guy named Manuel Marino, a little-known rice farmer who had been head of Congress. And now the population is kind of left reeling, as the New York Times writes, and uh, angry at a political system many see as willing to risk instability in pursuit of petty political disputes instead of focusing on the country's pressing problems. Now, this marks a stark turnaround from Peru's fortunes before the pandemic, when pre-pandemic, Peru posted Latin America's highest economic growth rates and fell behind Mr. Vizcarra's ambitious attempts to stamp out corruption. Now, Vizcarra has been accused of the same crimes he pledged to combat, becoming Peru's sixth president in a row to be investigated for corruption after leaked witness testimonies appeared to show him accepting bribes during his time as a provincial governor. Now, Vizcarra came to power after the previous guy, Pedro Pablo Kaczynski, resigned in one of several corruption scandals that have ensnared politicians, judges, and prosecutors in recent years. Uh, now, polls in Peru showed that the vast majority of the citizens want Vizcarra to face justice, but they don't like his swift removal by Congress before the accusations were proven. And indeed, hundreds of protesters took to the streets in the capital of Lima this week to denounce what they called a congressional coup, accusing lawmakers of perverting justice for personal benefit. And yes, they did fight the cops <laughs> who dispersed them with tear gas and rubber uh, pellets. Hmm. 
Yep, this is uh, crazy. The The impeachment clause was used. The impeachment clause in Peru, in case you didn't know, and who friggin' did, does allow lawmakers to remove presidents who they consider morally or mentally unfit for office on grounds of, quote, permanent moral incapacity, end quote. <laughs> so basically for anything they want. If they don't like the guy, they can impeach him. Uh, yes, and the former president, had eight, Viscara, had eight months left in office and had, had, had already said he would not seek re-election in the general election scheduled for April. So that's why everybody's like, well, he wasn't even going to run anyway. So what is the point of this? Why are you spending all your time doing this? This is dumb. So that's what's going on in Peru. And meanwhile, they're getting crushed in the uh, coronavirus pandemic as well. Let's give you an update back overseas. And let's go to this conflict in Azerbaijan and Armenia. You guys recall this one? Well, now a little update. Russian peacekeeping forces have been deployed to an ethnic Armenian territory this week, and it does cement those Azerbaijani gains in that brutal six-week-long war that kind of rearranged all the geopolitics of this whole region. You know, since late September... More than 1,300 soldiers had died just on the Armenian side of the conflict. This is like a big fucking deal. It like barely makes the news over here, of course. They're all focused on dumb election shit. Remember, this conflict happened when a quarter century of tensions over the disputed area of Nagorno-Karabakh exploded into open warfare. Now, Azerbaijan kind of won here. They emerged largely successful in retaking territory, uh, but had uh, that that used to be them, but had been de facto controlled by Armenia since the two countries' previous war in the early 1990s. So late Monday night, President Vladimir Putin of Russia announced that the two sides had agreed to stop the fighting in a deal that ceded more land to Azerbaijan, but retained. Armenian control over some of the territory, including the capital of Nagorno-Karabakh. All right, so any, I wonder if there's any are any Azerbaijani casualty numbers here. I'm just scrolling down this article. It sounds like uh, the Armenians just got their asses handed to them, basically. No, not really. Okay, that's all they have. It's tough to find stuff, you guys. Everything is about the election, I'm telling you. I had to pull out to go uh, dig deep this week. And another conflict that's kind of popping into the open. And this one, I, I didn't really know. I have, don't know a lot about this one. But the uh, country of Morocco has launched a major military operation in the United Nations patrolled uh, buffer zone in this disputed territory in northwest Africa. So this is like basically hostilities in the western Sahara Desert. And it's kind of adding up to a lot of hostilities in some of Africa's biggest countries. Remember, we have that basically civil war in Libya. We have that long-running insurgency in Mali. And if you listen to last week, the threat of civil war in neighboring Ethiopia. So on Friday, Morocco said that it had put up a security cordon on an important road connecting the country to Mauritania. And they consider this uh, road illegal. <laughs> and now 
Both sides are saying on Friday that they exchanged fire, but did not confirm any deaths or injuries. So, yeah, this is wild. Morocco. I didn't even like Morocco had like a military. But yeah, the UN is all around there. Uh, tensions in the regions date to 1975 when Morocco annexed the Western Sahara. And the Western Sahara was also briefly occupied by Mauritania. So this pro-independence front is called the Polisario Front. This is a pro-independence movement right here in this like kind of zone. And for years, the Polisario fought for independence from Morocco in an armed resistance that lasted until 1991, when the UN negotiated an armistice between the two parties. Well, since October, late October, the Polisario Front has now blocked the movement of goods and people along that key road in the area connecting Morocco and Mauritania. And the Ministry of Foreign Affairs for Morocco is accusing the group of carrying out acts of banditry and harassing U.S. peacekeeping forces operated in the region. Meanwhile, Polisario Front officials, they're accusing Moroccan security forces of shooting at civilians who they said had been demonstrating peacefully against what they consider Morocco's plundering of resources and the U.N.'s silence on human rights violations. So we still don't have any word on casualties, but that's yet another friggin' war that's supposed to kick off. Uh, let's go over to Pakistan and the U.S. State Department. This is funny. The U.S. Embassy in Islamabad was forced to apologize this week after saying that its official Twitter account had been used without permission to retweet an anti-Trump post <laughs> from a Pakistani opposition politician and rival of Pakistan Prime Minister Imran Khan. They said in a message on Twitter, did the American diplomatic mission, quote, the U.S. Embassy Islamabad Twitter account was accessed last night without authorization. The U.S. Embassy does not endorse the posting or retweeting of political messages. We apologize for any confusion that may have resulted, end quote. So apparently they retweeted an opposition politician called Asan Iqbal. And Iqbal tweeted out an image of a Washington Post headline that read, quote, Trump's defeat is a blow to world's demagogues and dictators, end quote. So he retweeted that headline out with the comment, quote, we have one in Pakistan, too. He will be shown way out soon, end quote. And he was referring to Mr. Khan, the prime minister. So when the U.S. Embassy retweeted Iqbal's message, it caused quite an uproar on social media in Pakistan, the hashtag apologize U.S. Embassy was trending on Twitter in the country on Wednesday when the retweet was deleted. Hmm. I wonder who that was. Who, who gets, you know, I would love that job, by the way. Here, guys, put me in touch with the U.S. Embassy in any country, really, and I'll just run their Twitter account. As a matter of fact, why don't I just take control of every U.S. Embassy's Twitter account? That would be great. And I'll just retweet stuff that I think is important. And then uh, we can just say, well, we were hacked <laughs> whenever I get called on something that pisses them off. Uh, that'd be a good job. Social media manager for all the U.S. embassies around the world. That's my job. I just made it up. You guys know I'd be awesome at it. Let's go. All right. A couple quick stories here at home. Uh, NYPD officer 
accused in 2019 of fondling himself in front of a girl, is now facing charges of two more incidents with other children. God. Sean Frazier, 40 years old, a six-year veteran of the NYPD's building maintenance section, uh, has been charged, but apparently this guy's uh, move is to pleasure himself in front of young girls. Uh, His lawyer is saying that the charges are baseless. Okay, we'll see. And let's see, what else? Oh, let's go to this one yesterday. This is a story from yesterday in Montreal. Let's go to Canada. This was some kind of crazy SWAT team response to a video game manufacturer in Montreal. This was the offices of Ubisoft, a large video game company, right? And they, I, I, I retweeted it yesterday at Bravo Kilo Actual, and there was a 911 call. Dozens of people evacuated, but apparently there were no threats found and no injuries reported at all. So what was that all about? During the police operation, local TV showed Ubisoft staff on the roof of their office building with the doors barricaded and a police SWAT van was seen in the area. Well, they're quoting an online programmer, Ubisoft, saying the episode appeared to have been a prank. Yeah, that's fucking funny. Uh, Yesterday was Friday the 13th. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. In a LinkedIn message, that online programmer said employees evacuated to the roof, and that's what I tweeted out, some of the video footage of helicopters, and you can see all these people on the roof and the SWAT team, and it looked like a, a serious incident was going on. So, this neighborhood is also a large Hasidic community. And uh, this another employee says he was enjoying a quiet afternoon when dozens of officers arrived, some with guns drawn. And then there started uh, coming out rumors of hostage-taking, and that was what was on Twitter. And some of this was reported by local media. Well, turns out it was a big fucking nothing. So that's that's very very odd. Big nothing. Yeah, you should if you are calling in fake like 911 calls, like honestly you should get 10 years in prison, hard labor. All that swatting and stuff. I mean, you can get people killed that way. It's absurd. Let's go back to the Netherlands here. The Dutch police are calling for an end to what they are calling pedophile hunting after a 73-year-old retired teacher was beaten up by teenagers and died of his injuries. Yes, this is Dutch police chief Oscar Dross. And he is speaking out because here's what happened over there. This 73-year-old man he was lured into having sexual contact with a minor while in a gay chat room. Authorities said he was aware the boy was underage, but there was no evidence of past sexual contact with minors. But apparently in the Netherlands, this is the thing to do. This is just the latest in a series of 250 incidents involving so-called pedophilia hunting. So what happened in this latest one? Well, a group of teenagers had come up with the idea of hunting for a pedophile after reading stories elsewhere in the Netherlands. And they started, I guess, trying to get this guy. So the former teacher 
arrived at an agreed-to meeting point on 28 October and then was followed as he made his way home. He was then beaten by a group of boys and died later in the hospital. Uh, oh, God, no, they didn't. The 15, one, of the, one of the boys arrested for this attack, his lawyer told a local website that the idea of hunting pedophiles, quote, happened out of boredom in this corona time, end quote. <laughs> Play some video games, kid. Fuck. Yeah, so this appears to be a big thing. These teenagers are trying to find guys to and and entrap them into become like you know having a, some meet up with some hot young boy and then beat the shit out of him. Since this is crazy, since July alone, this retired police chief Dross he told the local media there since July alone, some two hundred and fifty incidents had been registered just in the Netherlands, and that there were probably many more. And the police keep telling them to stop doing it. People have been forced off the road, assaulted, threatened, and publicly shamed on the internet. Facebook groups have sprung up across the country with names like Pedo Hunt NL, and some have attracted thousands of members. Hey, yeah, this is, I mean, I mean, it's not. The, the Dutch police chief said he didn't know of a single example that had led to a pedophile being convicted. That's interesting. So I wonder how that works exactly because, I mean, yeah, it's if he's on the chat room saying, yeah, I want to have sex with you and I know you're 13, is that not a crime by itself? But on the other hand, these kids baiting him into doing that are just kids and they're not law enforcement. I don't know. Does Should that matter? I don't know exactly the laws they have over there. Very strange. It's Europe. Fucking who knows, dude. They probably have all kinds of, they're probably really relaxed when it comes to pedophilia in the first place, which is why probably citizens are taking the matters in their own hands. Okay, a couple veteran stories. Uh, how about this explosion at the VA hospital in West Haven, Connecticut? This was terrible. It killed two people. A third person is also missing after the explosion. Firefighters described it as a steam explosion at the facility's building a short distance from the hospital. So it was like in a non-patient care area. The victims were not identified, but he said neither of the two were patients and medical care operations were not affected by the explosion. Man, you can see smoke rising from the building. This is a steam. They have a fucking steam room in there. It's crazy. Yeah, they didn't say they don't say in this article. Uh, ident- they didn't identify the victims. All they said, they weren't patients. Uh, the other veteran story is a, a lot better. Veterans and Gold Star families are now granted lifetime passes to national parks. There you go. That was great. Previously, it was uh, saved only for like, uh, you had to, I think you had to have a disability rating of at least 50%. And it was, it was, it was funny because I'm, I'm, I have a disability rating over 50%, but I actually never got this. They, they had this very long form you had to fill out to get the lifetime pass for free, which I never ended up doing. But actually, this is better because now I can just use my retiree ID and I don't have to fill out any form. That's what I'm reading in between the lines here in this article anyway. But yes, the Department of v- Department of Veterans Affairs did announce that U.S. military veterans and Gold Star families will be granted a lifetime of free access to national parks, wildlife refuges, and other federal lands managed by the Department of the Interior. That's great. 
The access passes called America the Beautiful currently cost $80 per year and grant entry to more than 2,000 federal recreation sites spread out across more than 400 million acres of public lands. And this includes Yosemite, Grand Canyon, Arches, and Mount Rushmore National Memorial. So, to get the free pass, veterans must provide some form of ID showing they were in the armed forces or U.S. National Guard and Reserves. And when I went and clicked on the link to get it, it just said, if you just show your ID at the gate, you're good. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm getting. All right, let's go. Um, okay, I got one more from the Netherlands. Okay, let's go back there again. This is a cool story because you guys know if you've been listening that I'm fascinated with international criminal gangs who perform these like high-speed heists. I love that. And so police are puzzled now because rare uniforms and other items like Nazi memorabilia have been stolen in a spate of robberies at war museums in the Netherlands and also Denmark. Uh, The one in... The Netherlands, this is pretty cool. It was 2 a.m. A group of thieves teased open the museum's front gate. It's all caught on video, but then the thieves disappear. An hour later, they returned in several cars. In a scene reminiscent of a heist movie, they spread out tires across the highway that runs past the museum to create a roadblock and parked a fake police car beside it. Over the next five minutes, the group... And they say it was about 12 people in total broke down the museum's front door, broke display cabinets, and took what they came for. Nine mannequins wearing rare Nazi uniforms. The outfits included one worn by Hitler's personal chef. (laughs) And they also took other items of World War II memorabilia. The haul was worth about $1.5 million in total. And they're saying it was very professional. And it was done with an almost military precision. And this is that was in August 4th, and that's only the most dramatic in a string of recent robberies. So since March, four museums in the Netherlands and Denmark have been broken into, and all this shit got stolen. Now, the most recent one was on November 3rd, when robbers broke through a window at the German Museum North Schleswig in southern Denmark and made off with, again, three more Nazi outfits. So they're not sure... If they're working on two theories here. One, that wealthy collectors in Russia or Eastern Europe had ordered the robberies, or that they were undertaken by supporters of the far right. It's like it's a political thing, right? So the, the second theory is that that's really the reaching on that one. They really kind of think it's the first one. Yeah, this is uh, cool. I'm, I'm telling you guys. I will say it again. Put me in contact with put me in contact with the fucking international criminal gangs, you guys. I'm gonna say it again. I've got the the resume for it. I've got the small arms proficiency, the large arms proficiency, dry, defensive driving technique, court many many courses on driving, the high angle rope skills. Uh, many, many suits. I can pull off the look on that, and I look great in a suit, custom suit. Jacked, tan, ab veins, dude, creeping down as I tear off the suit to ravish the, uh, you know, nubile young security guard, the female who <laughs> working at the museum. Come on, I got the resume. Let's go. I need a point of contact for that. 
Okay, let's keep going. And here's a pop quiz, you guys. I don't know if you're going to get this one. I really don't. Who is Alec Manassian? See if you guys get this one. I don't think if you get this one, you're better than me. By the way. Okay, Alec Manassian. You guys, I know you don't. You don't. You don't have it. That's okay. Alec Manassian was that fucking incel virgin. Remember him? Twenty-eight years old, who used the rental van to mow down and kill ten people in Toronto. You guys remember him now? He's facing 10 counts of first-degree murder and 16 counts of attempted murder in connection with that April 23, 2018 attack. Well, his lawyer, he's in the news. I'm looking at his picture right now. What a goof. His lawyer will argue that he is not criminally responsible, so he's pleading not guilty. And this is despite telling cops, quote, I feel like I accomplished my mission, end quote. Yeah, Manassian told police he belonged to an online community of sexually frustrated men, the incels, some of whom have plotted attacks against people who have sex. He killed eight women and two men, and they ranged in age from 22 to 94, the oldest one. She ran down some old person. So his lawyer is going to say his client is not criminally responsible due to a mental disorder. And... The judge has already said the case will turn on Manassian's state of mind at the time, so that would be the natural uh, thing to do. A lot of these people were struck from behind. One of those killed was dragged for over 150 meters. Manassian booked the rental on April 4th, weeks before the attack. He began planning this murder way in advance, and he acknowledged what he did already. So how are you going to go back and say, oh, I, I don't know? Manassian said he never had a girlfriend, and he said he also he was a virgin. <laughs> he had also been in contact with Elliot Roger. You remember that name? Who's Elliot Roger? Elliot Roger's like the grandfather of all the incels. He's that community college student who killed six people and wounded 13 in 2014 near the University of California, Santa Barbara. You guys remember that one now? He then quickly shot himself to death. Manassian posted on Facebook the day of the attack, quote, The incel rebellion has already begun. We will overthrow all the Chads and Stacys. All hail the Supreme Gentleman Elliot Roger, end quote. And that's what he posted on it. And that was right before he fucking mowed down 10 people. And now his lawyer's going to try to pretend like, oh, no, he was just out of his mind crazy. Get out of here. Get out of here. That's not going to work. Great headlines from the New York Post here, guys. How about this headline? Sex addict dies during orgy after using Viagra erection cream. In other words, both Viagra and erection cream. This is in Thailand, and this was 44-year-old Kun Thep. He downed a cocktail of drugs, including Viagra, and then slathered an erection cream called Marathon Rub. Jeez, no, it's not called that. It's not, it is called Marathon Rub. He rubbed Marathon Rub on his penis before he then took part in an orgy, and yes, he did die of a heart attack during the orgy. Man, that's brutal. Well, where's the, uh, where's the orgy part here? It just says he took a woman back to his hotel, so I'm really searching. Are they just leaning heavily on orgy? Are they just making that up? 
for a cheap headline. It worked on me. I clicked on it. Uh, yeah. It just says that uh, he took a chick back to his room. So a little bit of a misleading headline. I don't see more than one female involved, which I would imagine that's what it takes to have an orgy. That's just what I'm saying. All right. And, guys, I know a lot of you are aching for me to get to this, so let's go to our political roundup and what's going on with the whole Biden transition and what the hell is going on. Uh, first of all, there's a rally or march or whatever you want to call it going on in D.C. as we speak, the so-called Million MAGA march. So if you want to go do that, go ahead. I'm just looking through the live updates page on our presidential transition. Yeah, Trump and his motorcade drove by hundreds of those supporters who showed up in Washington for those demonstrations protesting the outcome of the 2020 election. Remember, Trump has refused to concede the election, even as his loss in the Electoral College grew this week. And yes, shortly before the podcast, Decision Desk HQ did officially call Georgia for Joe Biden. Um, so... Yeah, there's a bunch of people going over there. Trump has refused to concede and continues to maintain he would have won without widespread voter irregularities. And I have more on that in a moment. This brief visit came a day after the last two states of the election were called. That's right. With President-elect Joe Biden winning Georgia to finish with a total of 306 electoral votes. That is the same number that Trump won in 2016, by the way to Trump's 232 electoral votes. Uh, yeah, that's right. And uh, also, Biden is now demanding on Friday that Trump do more to confront the coronavirus uh, infections that are exploding across the country. I'll have more of that with your coronavirus update. Twelve House raises are still uncalled, by the way. Uh, let's see. California's 21st district... A Republican is ahead by 1.4 percentage points. But again, these are all the ones that are still not called. Uh, California's 25th district, Representative Mike Garcia, is leading uh, the Democrat there by just three hundredths of a percentage point, 104 votes. And there's a bunch in New York that are all not called. So lots going on in the House. Now, let's talk about this fucking electoral fraud. Before I say anything, I'm just going to reiterate what I said last week about missing the forest for the trees. And all you guys, with all the fucking conspiracy theories, and I told I told you like a day after the election day, like November 4th, I was like, Joe Biden, this is over. And you don't want to hear it. I get it. It's a shock, especially when we've been conditioned. And I mentioned this. I was like, it was hard to believe for me. It was hard to think that Trump would lose when you see the images on TV of the tens of thousands of people at the rallies and the hundred-mile-long motor convoys and all that. And you think that, and you're like, how could he lose? Well, he lost. And it wasn't really that close. And all Joe Biden has five million more votes than him. Now, true, if you take California out, it's virtually deadlocked. And Joe Biden flipped five states that Trump won in 2016. And now everybody's like running around. They want to fucking believe all these conspiracy theories instead of fucking just getting back to work like I went into last weekend. And it's just frustrating for me because I'm like, dude, you know, stop with the conspiracy theories. There's no fucking evidence here. And I'm going to go over the evidence in a moment and all the, the, the conspiracies. There just isn't. I don't know what to tell you. Put up or shut up, dude. Put it in front of me or shut the fuck up and move on. 
Your guy lost, dude. It's not the end of a movement. It's not the end of me, you know, talking about the Constitution and freedom of speech and freedom from government and all the other stuff I talk about all the time. So let's talk about these election lawsuits that are going on. Well, in quick succession, Trump was handed defeats in Pennsylvania, Arizona, and Michigan. And this comes as Biden again was declared the victor in Georgia. On Friday 16, on Friday 16 federal prosecutors who had been assigned to monitor the election directly debunked claims of widespread fraud, saying in a letter to Attorney General William Barr that there was no evidence of substantial irregularities. So let's talk about all this stuff. So first of all, News emerged that lawyers from the Ohio-based law firm Porter, Wright, Morris, and Arthur had abruptly withdrawn from a federal lawsuit they had filed only days earlier on Trump's behalf in Pennsylvania. Then, a lawyer for the Trump campaign effectively dropped the so-called Sharpiegate lawsuit in Arizona. That lawsuit had claimed that some ballots cast for Trump were invalidated after voters in Maricopa County had used Sharpie pens causing ink bleeds. The lawyer acknowledged that, guess what? There were not enough presidential votes at stake in the case to affect the outcome of the race. And that's a common theme. Even if you accepted, yeah, a few ballots were fucked up here and there, it's not going to come close to overturning any of this. Um, what else? Um, I'm just going down here. In Michigan... A judge there denied Trump by uh, denying an emergency motion filed by two Republican poll workers who had asked him to halt the certification of the vote in Wayne County, pending an audit of the count. So that's not going to happen. Um, what else do I have on this? There's, there's so many of these. Let's go to another tab that I have open. Here's a rundown of the election lawsuits. He's filed, the Trump and his campaign has filed 16 different lawsuits. And guys, the bottom line is, again, this would have to be like a massive conspiracy showing fraud on a scale, or you'd have to have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of ballots thrown out, and they're not going to do that. So this is just a waste of time. Uh, let me see. Michigan, I talked about that one. What else? There's, there's, sorry guys, I'm, there's so many of these, um, like a bunch of them are in Detroit alone. In Pennsylvania, the Trump campaign appealed the decision by a Philadelphia County Board of Elections to count five categories of mail-in ballots. Pennsylvania law provides that voters must sign and fill out an outer envelope as well as include an inner security envelope when they return their ballots. This suit challenges a total of 8,349 ballots with outer envelopes that were signed, but lacked other information like the date or the voter's printed name or street address. Again, the number of ballots challenged in this suit for minor errors would not be enough to change the election result. And it doesn't matter anyway, because the judge there denied all the challenges to all five categories of ballots. So he got blown the fuck out on that one. If you want to read and see the update on every single one of these, which I would encourage you to do, Google the following. Quote, Trump is not doing well with his election lawsuits. Here's a rundown, end quote. 
and it's an article at the New York Times by Emily Bazelon, and it goes down every all 16 of the fucking lawsuits, and you can uh, see the status of each one. What's the uh, one in Nevada and Georgia? Oh, here, what's the one in Georgia? Four Republican voters sued over the process of absentee vote counting in several Georgia counties, seeking to exclude all of the votes cast in them from the state total. The plaintiffs cited isolated instances of fraud. One voter, for example, said his absentee ballot was recorded even though he voted in person. And uh, the plaintiffs also claim that several counties appeared to have more registered voters than their interpretation of census data would suggest was plausible. They cited a study that estimated from past survey data, but without proof, that thousands of non-citizens voted for Joe Biden. Okay, well, we'll see. Let me show me then. I'm just tired of hearing about all this stuff. And yeah... Again, going back to those election officials, and some of these election officials are in, you know, red states, stuff that Trump won, you know, like in Georgia. It's a Republican governor, and all the election guys are Republicans. So you're suing the state, saying that the Republican governor is in, has some vast conspiracy? It doesn't make any sense. And election officials in dozens of states representing both political parties said that there was no evidence that fraud or other irregularities played a role in the outcome of the presidential race. I, I know a lot of you guys don't want to hear it. I've gotten your direct messages on Instagram. I know you don't want to hear this. This is like some, t- it's time for some fucking tough love here. Because I see you guys passing around all this nonsense all over social media. And you're just getting yourself whipped up into a frenzy and you're passing. It's fake news. I don't do fake news. So, yes, officials in 45 states responded directly to the Times. And the New York Times contacted all every state asking them straight up, do you suspect or do you have evidence of illegal voting? And all of them said no. Uh, let's see. Let's talk about another conspiracy. So supposedly in Michigan, there was a bunch of people who died. Uh, They say that thousands of votes were cast in a U.S. election using the names of people who have died in in Michigan. So, I'm looking at a tweet right now. And the story going around was there was a list of about 10,000 names that are all supposedly of people who died but also voted in the presidential election in Michigan. Uh, So... The BBC tested 30 of these names at random. They added the oldest person on the list, and they actually called the people up to, like, talk to. Of this list of 31 names, the BBC managed to speak directly to 11 people or to a family member, neighbor, or care home worker to confirm they were still alive. For 17 others, there was no public record of their death and we found clear evidence that they were alive after the alleged date of death on the list of 10,000 people. A clear pattern emerged. The wrong records had been joined together to create a false match. Yeah, so they went into all this and they said no. They actually talked to these people and these people are all like, no, dude, I'm alive. So there's, there's another one debunked. Oh, and then here's this one. The Dominion voting machines that supposedly... Deleted Trump votes. This is a this is a big one. So the conspiracy theory here is that Dominion voting systems, which make software that local governments around the nation use to help run their elections, uh, had 
software glitches that changed vote tallies in Michigan and Georgia last week. The Dominion software, however, was used in only two of the five counties that had problems in Michigan and Georgia, and in every instance there was a detailed explanation for what had happened. In all of the cases, software did not affect the vote counts. In the two Michigan counties that had mistakes, the inaccuracies were because of human errors, not software problems. And that's according to the Michigan Department of State county officials and election security experts. Issues in three Georgia counties had other explanations. Um, so basically, many of the claims being asserted about Dominion and questionable voting technology is misinformation at best. They are saying that this Dominion software was used to switch votes. Okay. Dominion has not responded to a request for comment about this. So, what happened in Michigan? In Here's a human error thing they bring. I'm sorry, guys. I know I'm a little slow right now. This is so fucking complex, and, like, the, the articles are so long, and it's so, like, uh, opaque. It's difficult for me to, like, kind of pick out, read it at the same time, and kind of tell you what happened, but here's, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. And it's not to me, this is the fucking boring as shit anyway. And it's conspiracy theory nonsense. So I'm, I can't get into it very much, but I'm trying to convince you. Well, here's what happened in Michigan. Unofficial results initially showed Joe Biden beating Trump by roughly 3000 votes. That's Antrim County, Michigan. That didn't seem right. So they checked again. It turned out they had configured the election workers had configured the Dominion ballot scanners and reporting software with slightly different versions of the ballot, which means the votes were counted correctly, but that they were reported incorrectly. The correct tallies then showed Trump beat Biden by roughly 2,500 votes in that county. In Oakland County, Michigan, Elections officials also spotted an error after they reported the unofficial counts there. They realized they had mistakenly counted votes from the city of Rochester Hills, Michigan, twice. So they retallied, they revised uh, those tallies, and it actually showed that an incumbent Republican county commissioner had kept his seat, not lost it. So it, it, it kind of helped him. So these were like human errors, but the, the, the process worked because they were checked and backed up, and then they changed it. And again, even if they missed it, they would not have affected the outcome because the outcome was too great to be affected. And Michigan officials said those errors came into the county's unofficial tallies and they were fixed before another layer of checks meant to catch such mistakes. All right, so I have a few... Uh, let me play a few clips here for you. Here's that fucking USPS whistleblower. And this is the this is a weird story. This is the guy who fucking um he said he overheard fraud, which is hearsay anyway, but then he was interviewed and they said he he recanted his story, but then he went back and said no, I didn't recant. Whatever. Well, here's this USPS whistleblower. This is from Project Veritas, that right-wing organization, and there's a clip of this USPS whistleblower talking to the FBI agents, whoever. Let's listen to this. How are you feeling right now? I'm kind of pissed. I feel like I just got played. That's the word. And I heard him say, 
to the supervisor that they messed up yesterday that they, and I was, so I was like, oh, what did they mess up on? And, uh, he told the, the supervisor that, um, they had, uh, postmarked one of the pallets for the fourth instead of the third, because they were supposed to hit, uh, put them for the third. Right, and now they have a video. This is the their video. Here's here's some more audio. You make good on that promise right away. Okay, this storm is getting crazy, right? And it's, it's out of a lot. Of this is the control. investigator. And so the reason they called me in is to try to harness that storm, try to reel it back in before it gets really crazy. Okay, understand? Because we have senators involved. We have the Department of Justice involved. We have yeah. Trump's all lawyers teams gotten a hold of me. I, I, I'm not, well, I am actually. I am trying to twist you a little bit because in that, believe it or not, your mind will kick in. Okay. Um, we like to control our mind. And when we do that, we can convince ourselves of a memory. But when you're under a little bit of stress, which is what I'm doing to you more purposely, um, your mind can be a little bit clearer. And we're going to do a different exercise too, make your mind a little bit clearer. Okay. Good to go. So, but this is all on purpose. Roger. I'm not scaring you, but I am scaring you. It seems like they were trying to make me distrust y'all. Okay, let me stop him here. So that was that was the weird. Uh, that was that weird like audio. And no, nothing ever came of that either. And this was funny too. This was uh, one of uh, Trump's uh, stooges went on Fox and he's basically saying the same thing I do. Like where, where's all the evidence here? And do you, do you have anything at all that you want to bring up? Let's concrete. Let's listen to this clip. What do you want to have happen with those 700,000 votes? The ballots are already mixed in. Do you just That's want 700,000 votes deducted on. from We from want Biden's to make sure total? that conversation happens. You're trying to say this is done and over. The media I'm not, I'm, a, I'm not done and, over. done and over. I'm but asking you where here. you're going to find there the votes legal to pull ahead. Where are the votes to pull ahead? Forward. The, this is now my third time to try to get this answer out. The legal path ahead exists here because there are clear constitutional violations that enhance. Keep snarking, okay, you know, so, making so your what faces happens? and rolling Aaron, your Aaron, eyes, Aaron, Leland. Take me through. I get it. I get what, it. You Aaron, guys spent Aaron, years trying to run up a Russia hoax against very, the president. It's very simple. I'm trying <laughs> what to say happens? this is over. How does the president? And the hypocrisy continues because you know what? How does the president said, pull ahead? Don't to Joe Biden. What do you want to have everybody wants to say that this is over for us? It's ridiculous. What do you want to have? What happens to the seven? That what do you is up want for to the court to, to the decide, votes? Leland. Okay. That is up for the court to decide. But we should be able to have the conversation no, about nope, those votes when you're saying, trying to say this no, is done and over. No, nobody's trying to say that. I'm just simply asking you. You guys keep calling the, the uh, president-elect. It sounds I don't know like who you guys are you, I don't know who you guys, I don't know who you guys are. Okay, you and I are having who, trying, I'm guys, trying to have a conversation with you and I'm ask Aaron you. I'm Aaron Perini. I'm trying I to ask you. I work for the president of the United States. I'm trying to ask you, very simply, where are you going to find the votes? You say we want to count every vote, conceivably because you think that means you're going to pull ahead. Where are the votes in a path to 270? Where? We are taking every legal avenue that exists okay, okay. in these states yeah. to make sure that legal votes are counted and illegal votes are counted. Here's a question for you, Leland. For every Democrat and every talking head on the news, how much fraud is okay? How many dead people can vote and you're okay with that? How many ballots are run through <laughs> a machine okay multiple with times and you're okay All with right, that? All right, I'm going to stop her there. Like I said, like I said several times, I'm sure there, there is, there's always some fucking little fraud here and there, people voting that they're not supposed to. 
like the guy said, are, are you going to make up fucking ground in Michigan? Are you going to make up uh, 50,000 votes in Pennsylvania or hundreds of thousands of votes in Michigan? No, you're not. So what's the point? Okay, you want to go through... You're more than entitled for a recount, and yes, I'm all about doing election security and all that. But this was not really that close, okay? I know, you guys don't want to fucking hear this. I'm trying to tell you reality. not the, I tell you things as they are, not things the way I wish they were. I'm not, I'm, I'm not like, trying. you know, I, I voted for Trump, all right? He didn't win. Fucking get over it. Get back to work. I don't know. It's annoying to me, kind of. <laughs> I mean, I enjoy, I enjoy the conspiracies as much as anybody else. But come on. Um, here's a few other clips just for the fun of it. Uh, let's go to, uh, let's go to what's going on in D.C. Like I said, uh, you have a bunch of Trump supporters there now. This is funny. Here's a black dude yelling at a Latino Trump supporter. Uh, let's listen to this. Imagine, imagine, let me stop here. Imagine being a grown man and being that much, that worked up over like who somebody voted for. I mean, fuck, man. And then this one is floating around this week, too. This was great. Here was like uh, Antifa was like running through the streets. I think this is in Portland. And this fucking homeowner. Oh, no, this is Los Angeles, apparently. And this homeowner had a Biden sign, but they were still fucking screaming at him in front of his house. It wasn't good enough. Let's listen to this. <laughs> Asking for people to be peaceful is white supremacy, if you couldn't make that out. Oh, my God. Isn't everything these days? Everything is white supremacy. Uh, here is uh, hapless Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot celebrating Biden's election day in the streets despite her own rules against mass gatherings. Let's listen to her defend this. One of the reasons people feel frustrated or skeptical is they're getting a lot of mixed messages. What do you say to those who are criticizing you where less than a week ago you went out and stood before a massive crowd who was celebrating um, Joe Biden's victory and now you're saying your city has to shut down. How do you have one and not the other? Well, look, I, I, I think that we've been saying all along everybody has to take care, everybody has to take precaution. I will tell you in that big crowd a week ago, we had everybody was wearing masks. Look at, you can see the shot here. Um, mass compliance in our city is actually up very, very high. But yes, but there are times when I see we people actually not do wearing masks in the video. Relief and come together. And I felt like 
that was one of those times. That crowd was gathered whether I was there or not. But this has been a super hard year on everyone. Everyone feels traumatized. They feel um, threatened, their safety, um, and they don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And with this new surge in cases, we have just got to step up and do the right thing. Now, basically, she's not, yeah, she's, she's just like filibustering. She's like basically saying, well, that was a, a woke uh, brigade meetup, so that's fine, is what she's saying. Fucking ridiculous. Uh, now, as far as the House, let's go back there again really quick. Uh, in California, we had two Republicans flip Democratic-held seats in the Congress. We had Republican Young Kim defeated uh, U.S. Representative Gil Cisneros, and that was in the Southern California District in Orange County. And let's see, what was the other one was... Uh, let me go back to here. Oh, here we go. And uh, Michelle Steele also uh, found a seat in Orange County, and she will be the first Korean-American woman, along with Young Kim, elected to Congress. How about that? This article by the AP is fucking written horrifically. Let's see here. And also, by the way, I mentioned the Republicans are leading ahead in uh, two others. So this is good. Republicans, by the way, also held the open 50th district seat anchored in here in San Diego County. Former Representative Daryl Issa will be the winner there after winning his comeback bid. And remember, that seat was vacated earlier this year by Republican Representative Duncan Hunter after he pleaded guilty to the federal corruption charges. So... Not all bad stuff. Meanwhile, what's up for Trump? What's up with Trump? What's he going to do? Well, President Trump, according to Axios News, has told friends he wants to start a digital media company to clobber Fox News. <laughs> oh, good. Good for you. They, uh, Yeah, he doesn't want to get a cable channel because getting carried on cable systems would be expensive and time-consuming. So instead, apparently, Trump is considering a digital media channel that would stream online. Of course, that would be much cheaper and quicker to start. Trump's digital offering would likely charge a monthly fee to his fans. Many are Fox News viewers, and he'd probably try to like to replace them. And he's going to go on the rallies like I told you guys he would. So look for lots more of Trump. And I don't think it's, uh, he's not going to like disappear quietly. That's for sure. And I already see media, like they keep talking about him. They keep writing tons of articles about him. So this is going to be, <laughs> you think he's really going to run in 2024? I'm not saying it's out of the realm of possibility, but I, I find it hard to believe. I think he'll be too ensconced in some, one of his online media adventures by then. All right. How about an amusing political story? Let's go to this guy, Dean Browning. He is a former Lehigh County Commissioner and Republican congressional candidate out of uh, Pennsylvania. Well, Twitter jumped all over him because it appears he like had two separate accounts and he accidentally, while he was logged into his uh, verified blue check political hack account. He tweeted out that he was a gay black man. 
And the speculation now is that he was shitposting under this uh, alias for like years now. And he would, he would answer a lot of like other tweets by announcing how he was a gay black man. In fact, he is a straight white man. And now he is actually trying to defend it by saying, oh, no, 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 when I posted that, that was I was just copy and pasting a message from my gay black man supporters, and that's what it was. And everybody's like, no, 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 no. We think you are now a fictional account where you post as a gay black man. <laughs> that's funny. He, under this fictional account as a gay black man, he called himself Dan Purdy, and he says, yes, I am indeed a gay black man. He says he has a problem with how people of my race and sexual persuasion are treating Donald Trump. Oh, that's fantastic. So basically, yeah, he was shitposting on Twitter pretending to be a gay black guy while, in fact, again, being a portly straight white man. That's funny. Oh, they'll never learn these guys, I tell you. How about a few clips of the media? They've been in rare form this week, and I know you guys like that. How about, uh, let's start with this one. Let's start with a supercut of the media crying, basically, after the AP called the race for Joe Biden. Let's Character matters. It matters. Starting with Telling Van the Jones. Truth matters. Being a good person matters. I don't know why I'm crying so much, but what got me choked up was the picture of the cab driver. And so I'm very emotional. So when you ask me how I'm feeling right now, I'm sorry. That's all I can tell you. This is how I feel right now. Nobody knows what it feels like as a black man um, to be able to speak in this moment. Stephen Colbert crying in his soup. If you're an immigrant, you don't have to worry if the president's <laughs> going to be happier to have I know I played this last week, but it's too good. Send dreamers back for no reason. God, I'm starting so to cry bad. again when I heard the bell. Oh, brutal. I keep crying. I'm going to cry now. Go away from me. You're going to make me cry. We don't care who you are. We don't care if you voted for us or not. This is vindication for a lot of people okay wow that's pretty embarrassing uh then i have a compilation because jake tapper uh decided to uh, tweet out making fun of trump and all the conspiracy theories but somebody put together a good mashup of the media going on about various conspiracy theories themselves let's listen to this one here we go let me just get to the Anyone, including go. President Trump, may have told him to lie or knew that he lied. Well, were you ever an agent of a foreign power? Did you ever advise the Kremlin or work with the Kremlin on anything? Even worse, Swetnick claims in this sworn statement that she witnessed efforts by Kavanaugh to, quote, cause girls to become inebriated so ah, they the could then be teenage gang, gang raped. Yeah. And the new development reported by the New York Times comes as special counsel Robert Mueller broadens his probe to include what financial ties Trump family and friends have to Russia. But we know now, of course, that there were multiple contacts and conversation between Russians known to U.S. intelligence and members of the Trump team. The president called special counsel Robert Mueller's probe a witch hunt. He did it in all caps, so you know he really means it. Joining me now to talk about this and much more is Congressman Adam Schiff. Now, Congressman Adam Schiff, Democrat of California. Is it not a possibility 
that Russians were trying to recruit you, even if you didn't <laughs> take the bait? Is, is that not possible? It this seems is to me all like Jake Tapper. That would be their job. In approximately 1982, I became the victim of one of these gang or train rapes where Mark Judge and Brett Kavanaugh were present. Usually we get into the what did the president know and when did he know it? Two years into the second term of a yes. president? Not four weeks. Right. Four weeks is a little early. But, you know, he's doing things differently. Yeah, that's Jake Tapper. There you go. He's such a good journalist, isn't he? Let's see. What else do I have from the uh, media? Oh, this one is funny. Ken Dillian got caught on an open mic from NBC uh, using profanity, which is always funny. Let's listen to this. There you go. Has it's on some MSNBC new here. On something that we talked about at the top of the hour, how the Trump administration is handling the transition with the incoming Biden team, or not handling it, we should say, to a certain extent. This time, it involves our intelligence community. Uh, Ken, what have you learned, sir? Oh, shit. Fuck. <laughs> okay. Uh, think we lost. Think we lost Ken for a second. We'll try to get him back there. That's funny. So he, he looks down at his phone and he says that. I'm wondering like what he saw on his phone to make him react that way. And then uh, finally, in media news, guys, uh, Jeffrey Tubin has been fired by the New Yorker after an investigation into that Zoom incident. Of course, heavily covered here. Remember, Tubin was suspended. After colleagues witnessed him masturbating during a staff Zoom call. <laughs> so, of course, I mean, you, you got to fucking, you have to fire him after that. There's no way. Like, and I kind of went into how they caught him like earlier. I think he had like two different windows open. And during a break, he decided to start like jacking it, but he didn't like close the other window. So all his colleagues uh, saw him fucking pleasuring himself. That's fucking hilarious. Oh, man. What else? Oh, I had one more clip here. Remember the televangelist Kevin Copeland? He's very, he's a very, very big in right-wing evangelical circles. Um, he had this bizarre kind of laughing episode at the media. So it was a sarcastic laughing, right? So he's at a prayer service, and he says that... Uh, Oh, the media says that Joe Biden's president, and he starts laughing sarcastically, but it goes on for a really long time, and it's very bizarre. So let's listen to the this clip of this. Said what? <laughs> the media said Joe Biden's president. <laughs> there you go. Stop him there. Oh, why is everybody so fucking weird, man? Is that all I have for the political roundup? Yeah, that'll do it. Let's keep going. Let's go to a bad cop story. Mm, this is not good. A Syracuse man is suing police for $1 million after a forced anal probe. No. And yes, it found nothing. Uh, he is fucking suing for a million bucks. This is Torrance Jackson, 44 years old. 
this actually happened a couple of years ago, but he's just now suing them, so it's in the news. So uh, here's what happened. He was pulled over in October 2017 under suspicion he might have illegal drugs. They did find marijuana, but nothing else. So he was placed under arrest and taken to jail. Officers described Jackson as, as combative and resisting. So they felt that Jackson was still hiding drugs, perhaps by concealing them in the old fucking prison purse, the rectum. Jackson was taken to St. Joseph's Hospital Health Center where doctors noted that he refused an anal probe. So they gave him an x-ray, right? It showed that there were no drugs in his rectum. At least two doctors then refused to go along with the police request for a forced sigmoidoscopy, noting that there was no medical necessity for one. Nevertheless, Officer Anthony Fiorini drafted a warrant that compelled doctors to insert an 8-inch flexible tube into his rectum using sedation and force if necessary. So they did it. The operation left Jackson with a rectal tear and bleeding, and yes, they did find nothing. (laughs) And then afterwards, the hospital, they billed Jackson for the procedure. You You know how much this procedure cost? $4,595. The hospital did later retract that demand. That's big of them. That's funny. Yeah, this this lawsuit is going to continue in federal court. Yeah, I mean, and he's not a good guy either. He's uh, He has a long criminal record. Uh, he was sentenced to seven years to prison in an unrelated case recently for illegally possessing guns. But as far as this one specific incident, yeah, that's fucked up, dude. I mean, if you're the cop, too, at that point, bro, if an x-ray fucking shows there's nothing there, I'm not going to fucking take it further than that. That's what kills me. So you're like a cop and you're like, well, I got this x-ray showing nothing up that is up that guy's ass. But God damn it, I just really want to get in that ass. I'm not done with this dude's ass. Really? Don't you have fucking anything better to do? Uh, for me personally, the x-ray is good enough for me. And if later on it's found that he had coke in his ass that I missed, oh well. Like, it's not the fucking end of the world. Like, why would you, you know, I, and you guys have probably seen on social media some of those, like, roads. This has happened in roadside stuff where cops, like, look up dudes' asses. Like, you know what? If you're fucking willing to shove something up your ass to hide it from me, you know what? You, you can have it. That's the way I'm looking at it. That's why I could never be a cop. All right. Let's go to our coronavirus update. And yeah, we're 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 skyrocketing in case count. I'm looking at the cases. We have 10.8 million reported cases in the United States with 244,250 deaths, right? Our 14-day change in cases is up 76%. And yes, now deaths are increasing as well. We have our 14-day change in deaths up 34%. And, yep, there has been an average over the past week of 140,984 cases per day. That is an increase of 76%, like I said, from the average two weeks earlier. Uh, so case, case numbers are spiking across most of the U.S., and now they're worried once again about hospitals. Uh, so... Mayors of Chicago and St. Louis have imposed stricter limits on gatherings. In Oregon and New Mexico, governors ordered residents to stay at home. 
and in both rural counties and major cities, infections continued rising to new levels with no end in sight. Although deaths are still well below their peak spring levels, we are still averaging more than 1,000 deaths per day in mid-November. Where cases are spiking the highest, like very, very quickly, North and South Dakota. That's where the hotspot is right now. Where's California on this? I'm just looking through here. Uh, California is also doing too... Uh, we're not doing great uh, either. And indeed, I have more on San Diego, what's happening uh, with us. It's not good. Let me see. I'm just going down this new live updates page. And yeah, deaths are increasing in the United States, and the virus is breaking records. More than one in every 400 people tested positive in the past week. And North Dakota, which I just mentioned, is actually announcing restrictions as well. And Governor Doug Burgum of North Dakota announced several measures late Friday, including a mask mandate, a limit on indoor dining of 50% capacity, and a suspension of high school winter sports. Remember, in the spring, North Dakota was one of a handful of states that never entered a lockdown, but North Dakota's situation has rapidly deteriorated. Over the past week, it averaged 1,334 cases per day, an increase of 54% from the average two weeks earlier. In New Mexico, the governor there announced the nation's most sweeping statewide measure of the fall season, issuing a two-week stay-at-home order to begin on Monday. Governor Kate Brown of Oregon issued orders on Friday to place the state in a partial lockdown for two weeks. Thursday, California surpassed 1 million cases in a de- uh, total, becoming the second state after Texas to do so. Now, this latest spike, they say, is not like the spring, because that in the spring, the spike was concentrated in the New York metropolitan area. But this is everywhere. Case numbers are trending upward in 49 states, and no states are seeing declines. More than 30 states from Alaska to New Hampshire have set records in recent days. Wow. And more than 1,380 new deaths were reported on Friday yesterday, pushing that seven-day average to over 1,000 new deaths a day. Hospitalizations for COVID-19 also set a national record on Friday for the fourth straight day, reaching 68,516. That is a figure that is more than doubled in just five weeks. Yep. Two dozen infected residents have died in a coronavirus outbreak at a Kentucky Veterans Center. That's the Veterans Center, uh, the Thompson Hood Veterans Center. 86 vets tested positive for the virus. 48 of them have recovered, 24 have died, 5 are in the hospital. Among the staff, 63 have tested positive. Yep, the months ahead don't look good, you guys. More than 1,000 dying every day, yep. And this is just, uh, there's there's just no fucking end in sight. There's no end in sight. Where's it all going to go? Well, hopefully we get this vaccine going on. What about that vaccine? Well, this was Pfizer Inc.'s COVID-19 vaccination. And they did announce that uh, they think their 
vaccine has an efficacy rate of higher than 90%, which would be amazing. But these are clinical trials, keep in mind. Those are conducted in controlled clinical settings that are not likely to be replicated in the real world. Still, with a 90% success rate, and the Pfizer CEO seemed very confident of that. He was on interviews saying at least 90%. And we need that to go back to any semblance of normalcy here because clearly the other if we if we don't have the vaccine then we're just going to have to let the virus sweep over everybody because that's what's happening we even if we lock down the interesting thing about this Pfizer vaccine it's sparked a wave of freezer buying across the country because that vaccine requires a temperature of minus 94 degrees Fahrenheit to, to keep on, on, on hand. That's much colder than the standard for other vaccines that require temperatures of between minus 36 and minus 46 degrees Fahrenheit. So now we need these like fucking cold-ass freezers and we don't have enough. So now that's sparked like a kind of a, a run on the freezers. And this is also fucking up other vaccination efforts because measles deaths are now soaring as well. Measles deaths worldwide swelled to their highest level in 23 years last year, according to a report released Thursday. They say that is a stunning rise for a vaccine-preventable disease. And this is a disease that public health experts fear could grow as the coronavirus pandemic continues to disrupt immunization and detection efforts. You know how many people died of measles in 2019? <laughs> this number is like shocking to me. How about 207,500 people? That's worldwide. And that is 50% higher than just three years earlier. No measles deaths were reported in the U.S., but measles cases in the country, the U.S., did hit a record annual high of 1,282 cases across 31 states. That's the most since 1992. As recently as 2012, the U.S. case number of measles was only 55 cases, and now we've got 1,282. Public health experts say the soaring numbers are the consequence of years of insufficient vaccination coverage, and now they're worrying that the pandemic will exacerbate the spread of measles, which is a disease that is even more contagious than COVID-19. God. Ah, a big calling of the herd, folks. Nobody wants to hear it. Oh, and speaking of calling of the herd, it was funny because the New York Times tweeted this article out, and I actually left a comment saying just that i said this is a culling of the herd and i got many many angry tweets but nobody wants nobody wants to say it out loud it's a fact and this is the article in question developmental disabilities heighten risk of covid death people with intellectual disabilities and developmental disorders are three times more likely to die of covid19 yep just like the fucking the fatties the people who are uh, sadly have special needs this is they're hit hard by this and there's nothing you can do about it it's guys don't misconstrue what I'm saying. When I say the calling of the herd, I'm not saying do nothing. I'm saying there's nothing we can do really, which is totally different. Yeah. I'm going to make all precautions to try to help people our old and sick people. But at the end of the day, this virus is going everywhere, whether we lock down or whether we leave everything open. 
And one more time, going back to that cost-benefit analysis I've talked about since the very beginning. How much longer are we going to shut down? How much longer are we going to allow our kids fall behind? How much longer are we going to allow our you know, adolescents to have crippling depression, anxiety because of these lockdowns, loneliness, turning to drugs, alcohol, suicide? How long? What's the cost-benefit analysis? Uh, here's uh, Fauci spoke up about this. And he's, uh, he's basically saying, look, we know in America everybody's independent, but now it's the time to do what you're told. Let's listen so are there countries that you, you know, there are countries that seem to be doing well that, that weren't doing so. Are there countries now that hold up as models for, you know, pretty good response to this? You know, the answer is yes, but right now it seems that every country is suffering. Yeah. We are yeah. often compared with countries that are not comparable to us. We are not a little island of five million people that we can shut off. Thank you. We're not a country that would accept if a ruler tells us, you must do this. I was talking with our UK colleagues just today who were saying the UK is very similar to where we are now in outbreak because each of our countries have that independent spirit but we don't want to be told what to do. Well, I understand that, but now is the time to do what you're told. <laughs> and I think it really is something that we should be doing right now. So, all right, well, nobody's, you know what? That's, that's, I, I kind of sympathize with what he's saying, but that's, uh, that's not going to happen. And most people are just going to live their lives because, again, the public health officials and the public health advocacy groups, they made, they, they botched this so bad over the summer when they all poured out in the streets to support Black Lives Matter and nobody said shit about all those gatherings. That did so much damage. And all the, and all the mayors were out there marching with the protesters in defiance of their own mass gathering orders. That did so much damage. I can't even overstate how much, how much damage that did. Because then after that, everybody fucking tuned them out. Why would you listen to somebody like that when they're, when they're a huge hypocrite, like that dopey mayor of Chicago? Well, I don't know what to do. Uh, the Brazilian president got in a little bit of trouble because he was using a homophobic slur to downplay, downplay COVID-19. <laughs> this is Jair Bolsonaro. The president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, used the Portuguese word maricas, which translates to the English language word faggot, while whining about the deadly outbreak and remarks Tuesday at the presidential ballast in Brasilia. Um, what Bolsonaro said specifically, he said, quote, I regret the deaths. I really do. But we're all going to die someday. There's no use fleeing reality. We have to stop being a country of maricas. We have to face up to it and fight, end quote. Remember, Bolsonaro himself contracted COVID-19 and it was the latest in the slew of controversial comments about the pandemic from Jair Bolsonaro, who has previously condemned the hysteria around the virus and compared it to a little flu. Uh, Brazil has at least 162,000 deaths from the virus. I mean, it, nobody wants to hear that, but that's the, isn't that kind of the truth though? And I mentioned uh, well, let me yeah, let me do this first. I mentioned California. Well, San Diego is now going back. We're going backwards here. We went back into the purple tier, 
which is the most restrictive tier in effect in California. This, meant, uh, this means that uh, indoor operations at restaurants, gyms, churches, and movie theaters will end. The county will remain in the purple tier for at least three weeks and will not be able to go back into the red tier until it posts a case rate below seven cases per 100,000 residents for two weeks in a row. Yeah, that, that's a, that is a nonsense. Try, uh, a t- that's a fucking ridiculous standard to try to uphold. There's fucking no way. Yep, seven or more out of 100,000. I mean, come on. Let's see. I'm just seeing how many like deaths we have here. San Diego has 921 deaths in the region. That's really not that many for like almost a year now. And then Gavin Newsom, stupid Gavin Newsom, got in trouble, the governor, because he decided to go out for a pricey dinner party for 12, even as he is scolding everybody constantly for socializing during a pandemic. So... Remember, Newsom was pushing those state guidelines discouraging gatherings of more than three households and instructed Californians to alter their Thanksgiving plans accordingly. Well, it turned out that him and his wife, oh, I'm sorry, first partner. That's the the official name of the first lady of the governor here in California is first partner, by the way. That that came about when uh, Gavin Newsom became governor. Well, he and his first partner gathered with people from multiple households at Napa Valley's famed French Laundry restaurant for a birthday. So this stupid idiot's out there at a very expensive restaurant while telling all of you, no, you can't have fucking Thanksgiving. It does, it's not a good look. This is why nobody's listening right here. That's it. Nobody's listening. They're, they're not trying to hear this two sets of rules crap anymore, whether it's for you, the dopey politician, or your favored political constituency, the fucking protesters, the Black Lives Matter protesters. They're just not trying to hear it anymore. And then finally, to finish up the coronavirus update, a broad study of Marine recruits showed the limits of COVID-19 symptom screening. So what this study found of more than 1,800 Marines has found that symptoms-based screening methods like temperature checks and screening questions rarely detect individuals infected with COVID-19 who are not showing any symptoms. Yeah, this is all theater. It tracked 18- and 19-year-old Marine recruits who arrived at the Citadel in South Carolina this summer for a two-week quarantine prior to entering boot camp at Marine Corps Recruit Depot, Paris Island. So prior to arrival at the Citadel, the recruits who volunteered for the study followed Marine COVID health protocols and quarantined at their home for two weeks. Then upon arrival, they were given temperature checks and filled out questionnaires intended to identify if they'd come into contact with someone who had been infected with COVID-19. So what they are saying is that this is showing the limitations of symptom screening because they found clusters of positivity in these Marines, even though none of them had symptoms. So (laughs) we're just going to fucking live with this forever, aren't we? I don't know what to say anymore about it. All right. There's your coronavirus update. Let's keep going around the world. Let's go to Mozambique. And this is when the Islamic state beheaded as many as 20 boys in this village over in Kenya. 
And this happened early in November. And the Islamic State's influence seems to be waning in the Middle East, but it is surging in pockets of Africa. And yeah, they are now shocked that up to 50 people had been beheaded in the district of Muadumbe, where this village is located. Uh, I'm just looking down here at this story. It's it's kind of like hard because this is like a written in a, a story. It's not written as a news article. It's written as like a story, a very long essay. So it's harder to pick out the pertinent information. But yeah, this basically is detailing all of the atrocities that are happening all over the African continent, including in Mozambique, and it's not getting any better anytime soon. And speaking of Africa, Nigeria is also going on the offensive against their youth protesting police brutality. Sound familiar? The government has commissioned panels of inquiry into police brutality. This has to do with that special anti-robbery squad I mentioned a few podcasts ago, the SARS not to be confused with SARS-CoV-2. And the government has kind of been forced to disband this. And now the government is striking back, conducting a targeted campaign against people associated with the uprising. Remember, Nigeria is Africa's most populous nation, and it was turned upside down last month by that uprising that grew into the largest popular resistance the government has faced in years. The demonstrations began as an outcry against that SARS police unit, but then evolved into a larger protest over bad governance. And the government hasn't been taking it down. It's been intimidating activists over there by throwing many people in jail. However, the protests are going on. And the hashtag end SARS, you probably saw that floating around, that was triggered by viral videos of police brutality that documented a decades-long pattern of violence. Now, Nigeria's democratically elected civilian president is Mohamedou Buhari. But in the 1980s, Mohamedou Buhari was the country's military ruler. And he had a fondness for discipline. So you can imagine he's not really taking this lying down at all. Okay, this was a weird story here. Let's come back to the United States for a moment. Let's go to Tucson, Arizona, where they discovered a man's remains that were eaten by mountain lions, but now they think this man was actually murdered. So just to recap, the report from Pima County Sheriff said Stephen Mark Brashear died and they found his body near the Pima Canyon Trail. Again, it had been partially eaten by mountain lions, but the autopsy concluded the lions did not kill Brashear. He was already dead. So they have arrested to a guy, they have arrested a guy named Dalen Thornton now. Dalen Thornton was charged with stealing Brashear's car, but after months of investigation, they're now charging him with killing Brashear Thornton. Reports say that Thornton and Brashear drove from Oklahoma to the Tucson area where Thornton said he would go visit his family. Brashear was going through a divorce, but Thornton said he was angry that Brashear didn't talk to him on the trip and instead devoted his time in the car to Grindr, a gay dating app. <laughs> so that's probably why he was going through a divorce, because he was gay. 
Thornton first told deputies after the pair arrived in Tucson, Brashear went off on a date and Thornton never saw him again. Later, he admitted that did not happen and they went together to the Pima Canyon Trail. Wow. He says there Brashear either fell or jumped off a cliff. Thornton said Brashear was suicidal over his divorce, though family members said he had taken it well. Thornton said Brashear was badly hurt and called for help, but Thornton said he did not help him. Detectives say instead Thornton met with an ex-boyfriend and then arranged a roughly 2 a.m. date date through Grinder. <laughs> Detectives said he told him he regards sex as a stress reliever and said, quote, I guess it was my way of grieving, end quote. Uh, so they put him together through his grinder logs, too. See? You guys can't do that. I know you get horny when you're committing murders, but you just can't go on the grinder because they're going to find you and figure out where you were and all the rest of the stuff, so you just can't do it. Okay. This one was good, too. Where is... This is in the UK. A man caught in a church was performing a sex act with a baptism font. You know the font? You know what the baptism font is? That's like the... The uh, it's like where they keep the baptismal water. It's usually like a bowl of some kind. Well, apparently a guy in the UK was caught um, pleasuring himself next to the font. Oh God! <laughs> There's nothing sacred. Uh, what else? A psychedelic ayahuasca tea may hold key to treating Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, according to new research. You guys have heard of ayahuasca. This is very popular in the veteran community now. Ayahuasca is an ancient brew made from the ayahuasca vine and chacruna shrubs. The tea has been used for a thousand years to bring on vivid visions and ceremonies by natives of the Amazon rainforest. Well, scientists in Spain have been researching ayahuasca's main psychoactive ingredient, which is DMT, that is dimethyltryptamine. And they say this could be used as a medicine. This study was carried out at the University of Madrid, and it reveals the shamanic beverage could cause the brain to form new brain cells caused neurons. Tests also suggested that after being given DMT, mice showed improved learning and memory skills. Oh, very good. So the deaths of these certain types of neurons cause the symptoms of diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. So they think that perhaps consuming this ayahuasca tea could prompt the brain to make the cells needed to repair itself. How about that one? Very good. And speaking of drugs, Argentina this week authorized people to grow marijuana at home for medicinal use, delighting supporters of cannabis who have fought for years to make it widely available to patients suffering from a broad range of ailments. This was, uh, th this was not like a vote. This was a decree issued by President Alberto Fernandez. And it also allows pharmacies to sell cannabis-derived oils, creams, and other products. And it orders public and private insurance systems to cover these medications for people who obtain a prescription. This move significantly expanded the reach of a 2017 law that legalized medical marijuana. Supporters of medical marijuana say that Fernandez's predecessor, Mauricio Macri, 
established restrictions so strict that it effectively made the drug inaccessible to patients. Now, this measure is the latest step softening these drug laws in Latin America. In 2017, Uruguay legalized recreational marijuana, which is sold in pharmacies, and Colombia established a licensing system to grow cannabis for medical use. So now these home growers in Argentina will need a they will need a license based on medical needs. This is this is all such dumb theater. Just fucking legalize it. Stop with the medicinal and the, the, you get to grow. Just fucking legalize it, dude. What are we talking about here? I'll say the same thing to Joe Biden that I said to Trump after he won in 2016. The first thing, pass the fucking decriminalization of marijuana at the federal level. Just pass it. The first thing, it's an easy win. Every state is going that direction anyway. Why would you not do it? It just doesn't make any sense to me anymore. We're like tap dancing around this. Anything else about in... Well, they say in Argentina... Full legalization of marijuana is not on the government's agenda. Well, why not? Why not? However, the new regulation will allow cultivation by third parties who are growing cannabis on behalf of those of the medical needs. So if you, have, uh, if, you're, if you don't have a green thumb, you can get somebody else to grow your weed for you. Fantastic. All right. Let's go to this cheery headline. Stepdad killed two-year-old who interrupted him watching porn. Oh, my God. It's over in the UK. And he beat his two-year-old stepson to death after, yes, he interrupted him watching porn and then called his drug dealer as the toddler lay dying. Keegan O'Brien was the victim. He had already been beaten many times in his short life with previous injuries. His stepdad, 36-year-old Martin Curry, killed him when he flew into a fit of temper after the toddler disturbed him as he lay in bed looking at his pornography. Wow. And then he shortly after, like I said, called his drug dealer looking for heroin. And they think that he just took this kid and he slammed his fucking head into a wall and he died of a brain bleed. Uh, Curry was sentenced to life in prison after being found guilty of murder. It's just, I mean, the death penalty, the UK, they're too, they're too cuckold to do it, but they definitely should. Let's talk about the Nobel Peace Prize. And I found this fascinating article because the Nobel Peace Prize is rapidly losing its luster because of the questionable choices of people <laughs> they're awarding it to. I haven't even looked here, but I want to see if Barack Obama is on the list. I suspect it is not because he really did nothing. He won the Nobel Peace Prize, remember, for just existing. Anyway, this article is talking about people whose recognition is being second-guessed. Uh, so let's take a look at a few of them. Uh, for one, 2019 winner, Abi Ahmed. You guys remember that name? Who's Abi Ahmed? That is the, uh, president, I'm sorry, prime minister of Ethiopia. And as I talked to you about last week, he's moving to violently suppress that Tigray region and risk plunging Africa's second most populous country into a disastrous civil war. So now they're 
Well, he just won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2019. So now, as fighting escalates, uh, they're starting to wonder uh, what the hell they were thinking. Another guy in 2016 who was awarded was Juan Manuel Santos. He was president of Colombia at the time. Uh, but again, recent developments in the country suggest is once again descending into conflict. Oh, well, you know what? I take back my criticism. They do list President Barack Obama in 2009. Many critics and even Obama himself questioned a choice given that he had yet to achieve any significant result for the cause of world peace. Indeed, in Obama's autobiography, upon learning that he had been selected as a Nobel Peace Prize winner in 2009, he actually responded, quote, for what, end quote. Uh, and then Obama, of course, promptly authorized a surge of American troops in Afghanistan and presided over a vast expansion to the U.S. drone strike program. Uh, another one. In the year 2000, Kim Dae-jung, he was president of South Korea, and he went on a groundbreaking trip to North Korea where he met with his counterpart at the time, Kim Jong-il. But... Since then, the two countries have remained in a technical state of war, and he really never did anything. Uh, 1994, Yasir Arafat and Shimon Peres and Yitzhak Rabin all won the Nobel Peace Prize, and that was the chairman of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, that was Arafat, and the two statesmen of Israel. Uh Doubts about their proposed two-state solution have only intensified in recent years among the constant terror attacks. And then a big one in 1991, Aung San Suu Kyi, a founder of Myanmar's National League for Democracy. She was a world, uh, she was a hero of the world's human rights advocates during the year of brutal suppression by that military junta, which kept her under house arrest. Well, she became president, and now she has undergone what many rights advocates describe as a complete makeover, rejecting evidence that Myanmar has systematically and brutally persecuted the country's Rohingya Muslim minority. So, pretty fascinating article, and I bring that all up for a reason to pivot smoothly into Myanmar, because they had an election. And the political party led by Myanmar's civilian leader, Da Aung San Suu Kyi, is poised to stay in power after winning what is only the second truly contested election the country has held in decades. And the, uh, the party is the National League for Democracy, and that is the party of Aung San Suu Kyi, the aforementioned Nobel Peace Prize uh, recipient. They captured 397 parliamentary seats out of 476. That is even better than its landslide victory in 2015. And she is 75 years old now. And like I mentioned, she spent 15 years under house arrest before becoming Myanmar's de facto civilian leader five years ago. Now, her global reputation has been stained by her association with the uh, you know Rohingya uh, uh, put down massacre, whatever you want to call it, but their 
popularity has not waned in the slightest. She is beloved as both an embodiment of democratic resistance and as the daughter of the army general who helped birth the nation's independence from Britain. So, regardless of what the rest of the world thought, uh, she seems to be very popular and she will remain in charge over in Myanmar. Let's go to the UK. A British nurse has been charged with several counts of murder as part of an investigation into infant deaths at the neonatal unit of a hospital in northwestern England. This is a 30-year-old nurse named Lucy Letby. She had worked in a hospital in Chester and was arrested twice in 2018 and 2019 in relation to those deaths. However, both times she was released without further action. However, she was taken back into custody this week and now faces eight charges of murder and ten charges of attempted murder. And these, this arrest uh, resulted from an investigation into deaths of babies at the Countess of Chester Hospital between March 2015 and July 2016. These are all murder of a victim under one year old is the charge. Uh, in late 2016, they opened an investigation into the unexpectedly high number of deaths in the neonatal unit because several doctors became concerned about this, and several of these deaths were, were unexplained and unexpected. By 2017, the police had become involved, and they started looking into it, and that's really, we don't know a lot um, about this, I'm looking at this this chick. She graduated from nursing school in 2011. She worked as a student nurse in this hospital. It doesn't mention anything in this article about like how she did this. What did she use injections? Did she smother them? I mean, did she just turn them upside down so they would you know smother themselves into a pillow? Hard to say. They don't really say. All right. Uh, okay, guys, quick. One of my favorite topics. Come on. Top three for sure. What do you got? If you guessed fake hate crime, yeah, we got one. Oh, this is all so predictable. Let's go to New York. And the owner of a BMW SUV that was spray painted with racist and homophobic graffiti is now facing insurance fraud charges. <laughs> 18-year-old Clifton Utsi allegedly spray-painted messages of hate on his own car in North Buffalo. That's right. Swastikas, the N-word, KKK, and profanity against Black Lives Matter were spray-painted all over the car, a BMW X5. The police report also stated that sugar was poured into the gas tank. Oh, there was also a message of support for Donald Trump that was spray-painted on the car. <laughs> At the time, the stupid fucking local media reached out to the Erie County GOP for a response when the incident occurred. They, they didn't think to themselves, hey, you know what? 95% of these cases are all fake, so maybe I should wait 30 seconds before the pol- and, and let the police take a look at this before I decide to like start blaming the local GOP. But no, they couldn't do it. Oh, Utsi is in trouble here. Those were bad enough because insurance fraud in the third degree is a felony. 
But guess what? Utsi is also facing additional felony charges in a separate incident. It is alleged also Buffalo police officers saw Utsi leave a vehicle unattended with the engine running outside of a home. So they decided to follow him around. He was pulled over by Buffalo police and they found he was driving without a license and had two loaded illegal firearms on his person. Wah, wah. <laughs> so this fucking clown, gangbanger wannabe, he wanted to be a fucking victim so bad, so he starts painting all the nonsense on his own car. What a fucking moron, dude. All right, a couple police stories here for you. Uh, one, a Portland politician pushing to defund the police uh, recently called 911 herself over an argument that uh, a, with a Lyft driver who refused to close his window. That was City Commissioner Joanne Hardesty. She has repeatedly campaigned to cut police budgets and shift money elsewhere, arguing that the force is inundated with unnecessary calls that don't involve crimes. She again called for an $18 million cut to the police last Thursday. This was four days after she dialed 911 over a rideshare driver who was following Lyft's coronavirus safety guidelines to keep a window open. Her 911 calls show her repeatedly demanding the force send out officers, even though the dispatcher insisted that no crime had been committed. See, they're all hypocrites, you guys. And talk about going the other direction. In Florida, Ron DeSantis is drafting laws that would allow people to shoot looters. <laughs> this is great. This is the, they're calling this anti-mob legislation. And a draft of Governor Ron DeSantis's proposed bill expands the list of forcible felonies under Florida's self-defense laws to include criminal mischief causing interruption or impairment of a business. It also specifically allows force against those looting, which the draft defines as burglary within 500 feet of a violent or disorderly assembly. Oh, and he also wants to make it a third-degree felony to block traffic during a protest and offer immunity to drivers who accidentally kill or injure the protesters who do block traffic. <laughs> Good. Who, who's defending looters? Like, why wouldn't you have this law? If we had these laws, there would still be 88 businesses in the uh, Fairfax district in Los Angeles that weren't that would still be open to this day. Instead, they were all destroyed by violent Black Lives Matter looters while Eric Garcetti told his cops to stand down and look the other way. That's true. Go look it up. I know it's shot. When you say it out loud like that, when you boil it down to its essence, isn't it shocking to hear out loud? The problem is was we have a worthless media who uses uh, very, uh, uh, very, you know, jargony terms and everything to really obfuscate the main point of anything. That's what Eric Garcetti did in L.A. He basically told his cops to look the other way because he was afraid of the Black Lives Matter protesters. So they looked the other way while 88 businesses were destroyed. Isn't that nice? And then finally in our cop roundup, talk about something that was predictable as the day is long. Minneapolis. That's right. The George Floyd epicenter is now being forced to authorize $500,000 to hire cops from other forces after cops leave in wake of BLM protests and rising crime in Minneapolis. They only voted on this 7-6, to six, so it barely won. 
but this money will be used to bring in 20 to 40 cops from outside police forces. The city is being rocked by a growing crime wave with shootings and murders at their highest levels in 15 years. Homicides are up almost 50% so far this year. More than 500 people in Minneapolis have been shot since the start of 2020. Yep. Boy, who would have fucking predicted that, huh? Oh, I don't know. Some of us did. It wasn't that hard. As soon as they were like, oh, no more cops. One fucking guy tragically died, and now we have to disband the entire police department because we're fucking stupid. And guess what happened? Yeah. Shockingly, crime exploded. I mean, who fucking would have thought that would have occurred? Who among us, I ask you? (laughs) I mean, I know I did months ago. All right, what else? How about something a little more amusing? Let's talk about Phil Collins, the famous singer, of course, lead singer of Genesis, and a prolific solo artist as well. You guys know all Phil Collins. I can feel it coming in the air now. Hold on. You guys all know him. Well, Phil Collins is in the tabloids this week uh, because his wife, estranged wife, I should say, kind of uh, crushed him in public because they're going through like a really bad like divorce. So his wife is named Orion Sevi. And she said all kinds of horrible things about uh, Phil Collins. She said that his personal hygiene suffered greatly because he was depressed about you know not being is so high in the music business anymore. But yeah, she said he abused painkillers. He smelled and he was unable to have sex. And TMZ has a has a big, really big long article about all of this. And uh, yeah, she said his she said he stank so bad that she couldn't even bear to like be in the same room with him. His body odor was like so foul. And this is a guy who's very, very, very wealthy. She says that Philip's stench became so pervasive that he became a hermit, refusing to interact personally with any people. Well, who's going to want to fucking be around you when you stink that bad? I mean, come on. Anyway, she, he's hitting back on it a little bit. Um, his attorney said that the comments were a scandalous attempt to wreck his reputation. Yeah, I believe it. He looks like he smells pretty bad, honestly, if I'm just looking at it. Uh, let's see. about. Let's uh, go on to another good story. For the second time in recent weeks, a Florida woman has been arrested for pleasuring herself in public, this time outside of a Popeye's at 10 a.m. 38-year-old Vanessa Lee Jones was arrested on Saturday after a witness reported spotting her masturbating near a dumpster outside the chicken joint in St. Petersburg. Uh, She was fully nude. (laughs) Yeah, police responded to the scene and officers witnessed the defendant masturbating in front of the dumpster completely naked. Oh, my God. You know what the police said? They noted that she showed no indications of drug or alcohol influence and no indications of mental health issues. She is, okay, well, she she's obviously got probably some of both because she's listed as homeless. 
She was previously arrested on September 30th after allegedly exposing herself and masturbating in front of a 7-Eleven in St. Petersburg. So this is her, this is her thing. Oh, that's rough. She's not, you know what? She's not, she, I'm going to hate myself for this. She's not fucking completely hideous looking. I'll just leave it at that. Okay, uh, let's see. More than 130 Secret Service officers are said to be infected with the coronavirus or quarantining in wake of Trump's campaign travel, of course. Uh, They say the spread of the virus has sidelined roughly 10% of the agency's core security team. Uh, Shout out to my Secret Service listeners. In all, roughly 300 Secret Service officers and agents have had to isolate or quarantine since March because they were infected or exposed to infected colleagues. And this virus is having a dramatic effect on the Secret Service's presidential security unit. Remember, this is at the same time that growing number of prominent Trump campaign allies and White House officials have contracted the coronavirus. Among those who are infected lately are White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and outside political advisors Corey Lewandowski and David Bossy. All right. Well, that's going to happen. Everybody's going to get this shit. Let's go to the Vatican. A highly anticipated Vatican report found on Tuesday that Pope John Paul II... Uh, recently sainted Pope John Paul II, had rejected explicit warnings about sexual abuse by Theodore McCarrick, now a disgraced former cardinal, choosing to believe the cardinal's denials as he elevated him to the highest ranks of the church hierarchy. As Washington's archbishop, McCarrick was one of the most powerful leaders of the Roman Catholic Church in the U.S. and a prodigious fundraiser but he became the highest-ranking American official to be removed for sexual abuse when the Pope kicked him out of the priesthood in 2019. Now, given McCarrick's long career, the 449-page report had the potential to engulf three separate papacies in scandal. Since the abuse carried out by Mr. McCarrick became public in 2018, conservative critics have accused Francis of covering up the Americans' misconduct. But the investigation commissioned by Pope Francis largely absolved the current Pope. Instead, it put fault chiefly with Francis's conservative predecessors, Pope Benedict XVI, and in particular, Pope John Paul II, again elevated to sainthood since his death, who believed Mr. McCarrick's denials of the allegations of sexual misconduct and promoted him. That's so fucking gross. (laughs) Bishops found that McCarrick had shared a bed with young men, but said they were not sure that there had been sexual misconduct. Oh, God, this is so fucking gross. (laughs) What is this? The Catholic Church, man. And this is from somebody who grew up in the Catholic Church. My mom was Irish Catholic. I could never go back in again because of all the pedophilia. It's just fucking gnarly to me. Like, the fact that they turn this blind eye, and I've mentioned this book a few times, that book, it's called In the Closet of the Vatican, and that French journalist who interviewed, he interviewed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cardinals and priests. And they were all like, oh yeah, this is, it's everybody's gay, pretty much. Shocking. 
Uh, let's do a quick court update on a case that I've been following. A federal appeals court panel this week said that Harvard University's limited consideration of race and its admissions practices was a legitimate attempt to achieve diversity in the student body and did not violate the Constitution. Get out of here! Are you fucking kidding me? This is a defeat for a group of Asian Americans who claimed Harvard discriminated against them in admissions. The Trump Justice Department had sided with them saying, quote, Asian Americans face a significant disadvantage in Harvard's admission program compared to applicants of other races, end quote. This lawsuit was filed way back in 2014. And yes, they're, they're basically, this is such, it's such, uh, they're just tap dancing around all of it. They say that Harvard did not engage in racial balancing or use quotas. The school considered race among other characteristics in seeking to achieve student diversity because in American jurisprudence, that's considered a noble goal to have and nothing else matters. So anything you do to further goal, that goal is legal. And how much do they consider race? That's the big question, right? They just say, oh, they can consider it, among other characteristics. Well, what is it 90% just considering by race and 10% other characteristics? This is ridiculous. You can't have this. In a multiracial society, you cannot have this. I don't care if it's all Asian, Harvard. You just can't have it. This is the same thing as with that vote. I told you guys about the proposition that failed out here. They're, they tried to bring back affirmative action, and the California voters said, no, we're a multiracial, multi-ethnic society with mixed races and you know, white people, brown people, black people, every other kind of people you can possibly think of. We're not going to fucking discriminate by race. That's it. It's ridiculous to me. All right. Let me see how much time I have here. Okay, a few more minutes. Let's keep going. Apparently, uh, India and Pakistan had a little bit of a kerfuffle. Pakistani and Indian troops have fought in the disputed territory of Kashmir, leaving at least 12 people dead. You guys have uh, heard me talk about the problems between India and Pakistan in the past, and especially in that area since Kashmir. Well, Pakistan and India have fought two of their three wars over Kashmir, which recall, is split between them and is claimed by both in its entirety. So Pakistani military and government officials have accused India of launching the assault after allegedly firing rockets and mortar shells yesterday. It's reported that a Pakistani soldier, five civilians were killed, and at least 27 were injured. The fatalities were some of the highest reported in years. Wow. Several homes have almost have already been damaged. Oh, and also three Indian soldiers were killed and three others were wounded. Um, let's talk about Holly Ann Milley. Who's Holly Ann Milley? She is the wife of Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman Mark Milley, the general. Well, she came to the rescue during a Veterans Day ceremony. Of course, we had Veterans Day the uh, the other week, a couple days ago. I'm very proud to be a veteran of the U.S. Armed Forces. Well, Holly Ann Milley saved the life of a man who had collapsed during the event and stopped breathing. So Milley was standing behind her husband at the annual wreath-laying ceremony held at Arlington National Cemetery. Milley heard a commotion behind her, 
and she turned to see that a man who was a veteran had collapsed and lay unconscious on the ground. Well, Millie has been a nurse for 33 years. She sprang into action. She directed somebody to call 911, checked on the man again, saw he was no longer breathing and she couldn't feel his pulse, so she performed two cycles of CPR, chest compressions, and boom, he popped out of it. He took a big spontaneous breath and a big groan on his own, and he started moving air, and after a few breaths, he started coming around. Wow, good for you. It's rare that somebody comes out of it with just CPR, in case you didn't know. Usually, you got to get the fucking uh, AED, the automatic external defibrillator on there right away is, is the ideal thing to do. But if you don't have a defibrillator in hand, of course, current ACLS protocol is to immediately begin chest compressions. Don't even worry about the breathing part. Just go right to fucking pumping that chest because the idea is they already have a bunch of oxygenated blood in the system, so it's better to just circulate that blood rather than try to fuck with their airway. They've already got oxygenated blood, but it's not moving now because their heart's not beating. So you got you to pump that chest and get that blood moving around. Uh, quickly, starting to run out of time. The Russian national football team captain, a guy named Artem Dzyubya. <laughs> yeah, Dzyuba. D-Z-U-U-B-A. He was dropped from the team after he was featured in a viral video while pleasuring himself. Yeah. A video emerged, <laughs> and I, I did watch the video, unfortunately. And he's basically laying in bed, like, moaning while he's uh, pleasuring himself. And he was the captain of Russia's national football team, so they dropped him out of embarrassment for that. A former Norfolk prosecutor has gotten 10 years in prison after admitting to trying to lure someone he thought was a teenager into sharing inappropriate photos online. Timothy Carnes pleaded guilty to all 26 counts he faced. He's, this guy's a former prosecutor. It's unbelievable. He's 42 years old, and he was charged last year after communicating repeatedly online with a police detective he thought was a 14-year-old girl named Brittany. <laughs> and guess what he did during their conversations? Yes, he did send videos of himself pleasuring himself to the undercover officer. I would love just one time to my law enforcement types. If you guys ever set up on these sex things, just one time, I would love to be in the room when you guys are all on the computer and the video pops up of the of the uh, guy you're trying to catch and, he, and the video comes through and he's fucking masturbating. I would love to be a fly on the wall and listen to all the cops when that comes through. Yeah, he tried to coax the teen into sending him photos of her. And uh, But luckily this time it was not a real teen, and they did not. Uh, Egypt has announced the discovery of at least 100 ancient coffins, some with mummies inside, hmm, around 40 gilded statues in a vast pharaonic necropolis south of Cairo. That's a great phrase. Colorful sealed sarcophagi and statues that were buried more than 2,500 years ago were displayed in a makeshift, ex makeshift exhibit. And archaeologists even opened a coffin with a well-preserved mummy wrapped in cloth inside. They also carried out x-raying 
visualizing the structures of the ancient mummy showing how the body had been preserved. That was, that's cool. This is the latest in a series of archaeological finds in Egypt. Since September, antiquities authorities revealed at least 140 sealed sarcophagi with mummies inside most of them. Egyptian archaeologists found other shafts full of coffins, uh, which were all very well-painted and well-decorated. Egypt is touting these in hopes of spurring a vital tourism industry that has been reeling from the political turmoil following the 2011 popular uprising that toppled longtime autocrat Hosni Mubarak. Of course, that would be the Arab Spring. And then, of course, they were also dealt a further blow this year by the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, let's see. School board president resigns over wife's racist tweets about Kamala Harris. <laughs> uh, this is in California. No, oh, he's a former Google executive. He was forced to resign from the Los Lomitas Elementary School District in the San Francisco Bay Area on Sunday while distancing himself from the, quote, reprehensible views, end quote, his wife, Meredith Venerlo, had tweeted hours earlier. In one disturbing post, she dismissed Harris's place in history as both the first black vice president as well as the first female one. Uh, she wrote on her Twitter account, quote, all she needs to be qualified is a black pussy, no brain needed, end quote. Her Twitter account has since been deleted. <laughs> oh, God. All right, guys, I'm fucking, my voice is destroyed. I'm running out of time. Got to go to the big finish. Here we go. A 22-year-old Texas man has pleaded guilty to animal cruelty after allegedly killing a dog that was in his care, but that's not really the, the big finish. Just to show you what kind of guy he is, in June 2020, Matthew Miser allegedly beat his girlfriend's miniature Australian shepherd to death after the dog bit him. Well... That's not the only thing he's got to worry about. He's facing additional charges after allegedly committing bestiality when he forced a girl to have sex with a dog. He was arrested in July on charges of indecency with a child and bestiality more than a year after police interviewed a child who told them a man sexually assaulted her and then forced her and a dog to copulate at her home in Clay County. Oh, God. Oh, According to an affidavit, the girl, who is now eight years old, told investigators in June 2019 that, quote, something bad happened, end quote, involving Miser and a dog. They did not release information on how Miser knew the girl. So she would have been seven years old at the time? Oh, dude. There's no, there's just, there's just no end to this. There's no end to these people, you guys. I can't take it anymore. Uh, that is all I got for you this week, guys. Uh, please go on iTunes and uh, leave me a review. I got a few here that were pretty good. Uh, 384 PRS says, With the ab veins popping and a golden bronze not found in nature, Uncle BK will bring you the news from around the globe. Uh, only Ariana said, Topics that normally make my skin crawl become funny. I come out the other side laughing in a good mood. And really appreciate that. He calls it like he sees it, which is why I say BK for Vice President 2024. Yeah, that's right. And then LPR8501 said, Finally a real man. 
First time listening day, what a breath of fresh air. BK delivers the news in an entertaining manner, sprinkled with his own take on things and foul language for emphasis. Yeah, I try not to do that much. And Fat Southerners Fighting for the Wind wrote, this is a great show that I recently refound. I'm glad I found it again. Thanks very much, you guys. Go leave me one, and maybe I will read your review. Follow me on Twitter at BravoKiloActual and follow me on Instagram at BKActualGuys. And if you would, go to Patreon.com, look for BKActual, and consider donating the podcast, and let's keep it going. Um, I will be filling in for Jesse Kelly sometime over the Thanksgiving Day break. I'm not sure exactly, but I'll let you guys know by next weekend. And that is going to do it for me, you guys. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. Burn! 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 Bur